Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we are going to read the whole chapter. I know it's a lot of verses, but we need to get the scope of this chapter as we read it. Um, the author of Hebrews is not shifting focuses. The call still remains for Christians to remain faithful and not to neglect. And what he is doing in chapter 11 here is turning his focus attentively to the idea of examples, and he is not at all shifting focus. There's a uh, idea here that this is now moving from the theology of Hebrews into this application section at the end, and that I do not believe is a fair assessment of this book. I think here in this chapter, if we read it carefully, we will see that he is trying to draw you to a deeper understanding of what faith is. He's continuing the portion of theology by providing these examples. Um, so let's read together Hebrews chapter 11, the whole chapter. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as, a, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens, and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, having received the things promised, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles 
on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking out of that land, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the op- they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his, over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention in the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had gone, she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me, fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tor- tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. 
And all these, through, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from this, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. When we look at that text, it's tempting to take the first portion. The reason we read the whole thing is tempting to take that first portion, Abraham and Moses, and those calls of how great and powerful their faith was, and divorce it from that last portion where he rattles off all the awful things that happened to them. It's tempting to decide that we're going to call this a hall of faith, a um, championship team, if you will, when in reality, these are normal people who had faith, and therefore God did extraordinary things. God did these amazing things, and the people sat and watched and participated when God told them to do it. That's what we have here. And it's tempting to read this and go, see, if you have the faith of Abraham, you will conquer and be given the land. Sort of. Because if you read that last portion, you also might be sawn in half. You also might be mocked and scorned and ridiculed and lose everything and live in the desert in a cave. You also might be starving. You see... The author of Hebrews wants us to get a very clear picture of what faith is. Faith is not being taken away from the troubles of the world, or the troubles of the world ceasing. Faith is being taken from the miry pit and set on a rock above the troubles. So no matter what the troubles are, you are above them, still surrounded by them. But your life is above them. And why? Because there's something we look forward to. There's something in the distance. There's a kingdom that is coming that we will be a part of. That we will get to live in and rejoice in. We read about it yesterday. There is a kingdom that is coming. So, let's look at this uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 and just... Jump right in. The, the picture here in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to say a few things about these stories. The picture here in Hebrews chapter 11 is an airplane view of what happened in the Old Testament. It's not an intricate, knitting, you know, picking, grabbing point of view. It's not a point of view that talks about how Abraham felt when he uh, had his wife and he was going to Egypt and he lied to the Pharaoh and said, Oh, she's my sister. Please don't kill me. That, that is not talked about in this passage. Uh, Abraham is not how Abraham felt when his wife said, Maybe you should sleep with my servant and therefore provide an heir because God hasn't done it yet. It's not a, a picture of those things. It's an airplane view picture where we see the whole story all at once and we go, Abraham had faith. Yes, he did, but he was also a normal person. It's not a picture of Moses 
and his struggle to argue with God, saying, I'm not good enough to go to Egypt. I can't even talk. I don't have the words. I can't, I don't have the good words. Aaron's got all the good words. I don't have those. Send him. And God says, go. And Moses in the next chapter is going. You don't have that discussion here in, in this. You don't have the discussion where it says, quite plainly in Exodus, he murdered an Egyptian and then ran because he had been found out. That's not discussed here. Instead, the author of Hebrews says that like this. He says, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. But when you go back and read Exodus, there's a lot more detail in that story. You see, this is a 30,000 foot look over the edge and see the whole story. And this is how life is for us. We, we look back on our life from 30,000 feet. If you've ever read an autobiography, you should take note that that person is looking back on their life having heard the whole story. If you read a biography, it's the same way. They're looking back on somebody's life having seen the whole story. They know the beginning and the end, so they're crafting the narrative. So that's what's going on here. And there's a definition of faith here in verses 1 and 2 that is then followed by a series of examples of that faith. And so as we enter into Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be in here a couple weeks, and as we enter into Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to remember these are normal people. They're not superheroes. This is not a Marvel movie. This is not written by Disney. This is written by the the Lord God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he has written this for us. And he wrote the whole Bible. So in the context of the Old Testament, as we understand the stories, take heart. Abraham was a normal guy who had normal anxieties and normal troubles. Yes, he was the chosen patriarch of God, which sets him apart. But it's not set apart because he's awesome. Set apart because God's awesome. Moses, same way. Moses, though he's educated in Egypt and though he seems to be this powerful character, you notice at the beginning of the story in Exodus, which we've been studying on Thursdays, if, you, if you've been, been around or if you've ever read it, you notice Moses, when he tries to take authority into his own hands, ends up murdering somebody and running away. And it's not until God intervenes that he actually becomes valuable. Moses is not great because he's great. Moses is great because God is great. David, same way. David's not an amazing king because he's this amazing king. He's an amazing king because God is amazing. And he follows him. The prophets weren't amazing men because they were somehow special and God chose them for his team. No, the prophets were amazing because God is great. And He is their God. So as we read through Hebrews, as we read through Hebrews 11, as we look at these people, as we examine what faith is, remember, He's your God too. He's your God too. And these were normal people who happened to have an extraordinary God. So, 
Let's dive in now. Verse, uh, or actually, you know, it'd probably be helpful to just run through a quick overview. Um, so chapter chapter 11, verses 4 through 7, by faith, you've got these mentions of people before Abraham. Abel speaks from the dead. So if you don't know that story, Abel is killed by Cain, his brother, and then God says to Cain what happened, and Cain says, uh, I don't know, and God says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. God says, I know what happened because your brother speaks from the dead. So Abel speaks from the dead by faith. Enoch lives forever because he pleased God and had faith. He gets taken off the ground. He never dies. Noah, uh, by faith, obeys God, condemning the world, rejecting the world system and obeying God, and thereby is saved by faith. Then you've got the first mention of faith in the Bible with Abraham. Abraham, by faith, follows God to a new land. And then, uh, by faith, he looked forward to God's kingdom and had this hope for a future. And then, by faith, Sarah and Abraham conceive a child. By faith. All that's by faith. Now, just take note, the first three examples that the author gives you, the word faith comes nowhere in the book of Genesis, in that part. They are not mentioned as having faith, but they do. They're not mentioned as having faith. The first mention of faith is when Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's faith. The first mention of it is in uh, Genesis 15. First place. For the first 14 chapters, you got tons of stories of people who have faith that it's not talked about. That it's just exhibited by the way that they live. So you've got by faith, Abraham uh, looks forward to this new kingdom. He follows God. Just consider for a moment the story of Abraham. God says, go to a place that I'll show you. And Abraham goes, where is it? Where is it? And he says, walk. And Abraham has to start walking with all of his people. Come on, guys, we're going. Where are we going? I don't know. That way. That's ridiculous. Like if you got all your kids and family together and said, we're going on vacation, where are we going? And you pointed. Uh, that way. It's even worse because it's like you got all your family together, got all your stuff, put it in a U-Haul, packed everything up and said, where are we moving? And you went, get in the car. <laughs> this is insane. So by faith, Abraham obeys God because he's looking forward to a better kingdom. Then you've got this interlude in verses 13 through 16 where he explains they were looking forward to a better country. Not a worldly country, but a heavenly kingdom. That's what they were looking forward to. Then by faith, Abraham offers Isaac. Isaac gives future blessings to his kid. Jacob blesses his kids. Joseph says, bury me. In the promised land, I do not belong on this earth. I belong in the kingdom of God. That's Joseph's ending there um, in verses 17 through 22. And then Moses comes along in the story, and his parents kept him by faith. He chooses reproach over honor by faith. He leaves Egypt by faith. He goes back to Egypt and, and leads the people in freedom by faith, keeping the Passover. He obeyed God over 
man. And then the people here, in verse 29 and following, the people cross over the, Jer- cross over the river and by faith, or they cross over the sea by faith. They destroy Jericho by faith. Rahab is saved by faith, and they choose God over kings by faith. And then he goes, what, what else can I tell you by faith happens? Well, all these prophets die horrible deaths by faith. And yet they're consistent and faithful by faith because they choose the kingdom of heaven over the kingdom of this world and they would rather sacrifice everything for the pearl of great price than to, to subsist in this existence. And so by faith they are granted victory. So there's your overview. And then he says here at the end all... Uh, verse 39, all these, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised. All of these Old Testament figures did not receive what was promised, because what was promised was Jesus, and Jesus doesn't come until later. And they were all looking forward to what we get to see. They were all looking forward to what we get to see. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not They should not be made perfect. So that's by faith. That's your overview. I hope that was helpful. Wasn't. Let's dive in anyway to verse one. The faith now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, Now I I grew up reading that verse differently. I don't know about you, but I grew up reading that verse: the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right? The evidence of the invisible. Uh, that I grew up reading it that way. That's the King James translation, the evidence of things not seen. It's, I want to make a case for that being, that word, evidence, being the better use, better word uh, here. Um, but first, let's look at that first part. So it gives you two things here. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. This is the idea that we see ahead... There's something ahead of us, and we have this certainty or this guarantee of things that are hoped for, things that are ahead. So we have this guarantee that there's a better existence than the one we are in ahead of us. So we are faithfully looking towards that, and faith is the grounds which we can say there is assurance of that. Faith is our assurance. Now, I don't mean faith that has no uh, evidence. But faith is our assurance. We'll get to that in just a second. Faith is our assurance of the things hoped for. So when we look at things in life, we are looking towards a motivation and a guide that is heavenly, not earthly. So I was sitting in a job interview once, and I was talking to a man uh, who I was sitting across his desk, and it was a job for a warehouse position at at a store, and they wanted to... Uh, hire you in the warehouse, train you for a few months, and then move you to a customer service, customer rep type position. And so he needed people who could, um, you know, be educated, talk, learn things quickly, and could guide other people through processes. And so he's talking to me, and he says, well, tell me about yourself. And I said, well, um, i got to tell you, I'm only going to work here for about two months. I have to be honest. I'm only going to work here for about two months. See, my God brought me down here, and I'm supposed to work at a church. And he said, oh, so you have a church job that you're going to go to in a couple months. And I said, no, I don't. And he said, you don't, but you've got an interview. You've got an interview you're pretty certain about. Nope. Nope, I don't. 
And he said, well, why do you think you're going to wear to church? And I said, well, I came back to Texas to go to seminary. And I know I'm called to work at a church. I know the Lord has called me to do that. So he's, I'm going to have a church job. Seminary starts in two months. I can't do this and seminary. I'm going to have a church job in under two months. And he went, you realize that doesn't make any sense. And I said, I, I know. But I'm going to have a, a church job in two months. I will be, and I told him, I will be your best worker for two months. I will outwork anyone on your team. I will outwork you. I will be your best employee. I will learn everything there is to know about this company. In two months, you're going to want to promote me to management. I am going to work that hard. And I said, but you're going to come back and you're going to offer me a promotion. And I'm going to say, no, I'm going to work at this church. And he said, what church? And I said, right. I don't know. <laughs> and he sat back in his chair and he said, I got another Christian that works here. And he said, you know, I don't know what it is about you people. He was not a Christian. And I don't know what it is about you people, but you see something I don't. And he said, so, tell you what. How about I hire you and we put you on the fast track for the customer service lines and the customer service management stuff. And we'll put you on the fast track for it. And if, if you're right, in two months you'll be out and you'll be... You'll be gone and I'll be, you know, I'll eat crow. He said, but I don't see it. I don't see the same thing you do. And I'm not following the same thing you are. And, but you're pointing at something that I can't see and can't make sense of. And I shared the gospel with him. told him, well, you know, the kingdom of heaven is real. And, and there's a hope beyond this life. And there's, there's more for you than, than what you have in front of you. And you, you know, there's a God who has, who has taken the, the sins of the world upon himself, who has taken your sins upon himself, that you might have life if you just believe. I told him all these things. He was like, I've heard it before. We're in Houston. It's all over the place. I heard this. I just can't see it. I said, okay. In two months, I'll tell you again. So, um, they hired me. And in two months, in a, in a month and a half, I had gotten a job at a church. And I called into his office and I said, hey, it's almost been two months. Got a job at a church. Here's my two weeks notice. I'll be gone this day, going to school, starting seminary, be at this church. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Got one more opportunity to share the gospel with him. But I was seeing something in obedience to the Lord. I was following where the Lord directed. And I was seeing something that he was not. And I knew, I knew what needed to be changed. I knew what needed to happen. I knew how to obey and I knew what I was to do. And he couldn't see it. You see, faith is the assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Even now, when we make decisions in our life as Christians... We make decisions based on a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly calling, a heavenly king. So people ask, why don't you spend that money over here to make yourself feel better or get yourself that nice thing or do that great thing? 
and you say, no, that money is allocated for kingdom work over here. Why would you spend all your money on other people when you could be happier over here with that new toy? Because the gospel tells me to take care of my neighbors. And they were hungry. By faith, we have this assurance of things that are hoped for. And I know that obeying the Lord now and following His direction now will lead to kingdom reward. Kingdom reward. We have assurance of things hoped for. So the first thing, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Second, it is the conviction of things not seen. Now, I don't... I. The word conviction used in Greek here, the Greek word used in Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews, uh, is, is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Most of the time, this just for your own edification, most of the time when you look up a word in the Bible, uh, what, the best way to find the definition for it is to look up everywhere else it's used in the Bible and examine what it says. See what it says about that word. This is what we uh, try to learn to do on Thursdays and in our small groups on Tuesdays. This is what we're trying to learn to do, that we would see the Bible for what it says and we'd go find the word. Uh, if, if a word is confusing, we'll go find that word everywhere else in the text and find out what it says, what it means. This particular Greek word is not used anywhere else in the Bible, only here. And so when you read it, you have to exit the Bible in order to find the definition. And everywhere else in Greek text that you find this word, it's the word is translated evidence or proof. I know why the author, why the translators, why the translators went with conviction. They went with conviction because to say evidence doesn't seem to make sense. Faith is something you can't see. Evidence is something you see. Right? Proof. We know that a mountain is there because we see it. We climb it. We feel it. We touch it. It's there. That's evidence. We know that the wall will stand because we push against it and it doesn't fall. It's evidence, right? So this is what we think of as evidence. But the author of Hebrews is claiming a statement about faith that transcends our understanding of evidence. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. When a person has faith, They live in such a way that it proves what is unseen. My boss that I sat across from looked at me and said, you guys are looking at something I can't see. He was right. We were looking at something he can't see. He doesn't know it. But we saw it. Faith is our evidence. And he looked at my life and he said, your faith is evidence of that thing. And that's That's the idea, that that faith is the evidence or the proof of things unseen. Things that the world cannot see and those who do not believe in Jesus cannot see. So faith is the evidence of these things that we do not see. So those are two things about faith that are going to prop up the rest of the book. This is the thesis statement of chapter 11 that he's going to explain through all these examples. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. It is the assurance of things hoped for. And you saw that as we read through it and as we did that overview. You saw there's a hope 
that is here, in particular in verses 13 through 16, there's this hope of a better kingdom. There's this hope of a better kingdom, but it's not a hope that's based on nothing. It's a hope that's based on a contract assurance and tangible, evident faith. Tangible, evident faith. Christians ought to look crazy to the world. Christians ought to look crazy. The world should not look at you and go, yeah, makes sense. The world, the world should look at you and go, ah, that doesn't make any sense at all. But it seems to be working. You've heard me say it many times where I've been in evangelistic conversations with somebody and they come to this point where they're, they are um, just in knots over what I'm saying. And they go, you're crazy. And I go, but I'm happier than you are. And that's my, that's my response. You can have all this other stuff. And I go, but I'm happier without it. I'm happier with what I have, with, with Jesus. I'm happier with him and obeying his way than doing this. Doing what you're telling me I should do. So we have this assurance of things hoped for and this evidence of things unseen in the world. So verse 2, he says, For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Another little Greek thing there, the word commendation is the word martyr. By faith, these saints received their martyrdom, their witness, their testimony. By faith, they received their commendation. I think commendation is a good, a good translation here. I'm not scorning the translators or anything, but the word, I want you to hear the word martyr because that's where this ends. That's where chapter 11, verses 32 through 38 goes. That's where it goes. It goes to martyrdom, to people giving up their lives for the sake of something greater, for the sake of a greater kingdom. That's where it goes. And he says, by faith, these people who had this assurance and had this evidence, who lived a lifestyle of faith, these people who lived this lifestyle of faith, they received from God their commendation, their witness, their testimony. Their martyrdom, which indeed he calls a reward. There in verse 6, you see, without faith, it is impossible for, for one to please God. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this is, faith is a, a trusting that, that God is real, that he's active, that he exists, and that he rewards so when the author of Hebrews talks about them receiving their witness or receiving their commendation, he is talking about the reward. This is part of the reward. This is their reward. What is it that the martyrs in heaven and the elders in heaven have that they throw down at his feet? Crowns. Treasures. They have them by faith. By faith, these men receive their, and women, receive their commendation. By faith, they receive this witness, their commendation. For by it, people of old receive their commendation. And then he jumps into the first example of faith. That is, everyone who has ever taken understanding of creation. 
by faith. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Just pause right there. And, and revel in that. The, the creative power of God is in his word. The creation power of God is in his word. You feel stifled, you feel like you're not growing, you feel creative lack, you feel a wall, an inability to move forward or grow in life spiritually, physically, whatever it is, you feel that, listen, the creation power of God is in the Word of God. If you feel stifled, the first place you ought to look to be inspired to move forward from that stifling sense of inability is the Word of God. The Word of God, all Scripture is is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, training, correction, discipline. I'm messing that whole verse up. That the man of God might be approved for every good work. Right? There's more. So, This is the Word of God. It is the very life breath of God. It is the thing that He used to breathe into Adam, and it is what He breathes into us to bring us to life. The Word of God, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So you have this contrast and a challenge from the author of Hebrews. The challenge is this. Prove that which is invisible. The author of Hebrews says, what is it that proves that which is invisible? What is it that brings evidence to that which is invisible? Faith. Faith brings evidence to that which is invisible. It's not a cop-out. It's not an excuse. So when the world looks at you and says, this is an excuse, you're excusing your, your, you're excusing your argument, you're moving past your argument, the argument, when they start making arguments from silence against you, you say, I have faith, and they go, that's a cop-out, and you go, no, it is not a cop-out, here's the evidence of that faith. The evidence of that faith is borne out in history, in trusting that the Word of God brings creative power and creation power into this world, and in living that out. That is faith being made manifest on the world. So, he calls you and says, we're going to prove it. We believe and understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what was made was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, we see faith as the evidence of creation. This is incredible. We see faith as the evidence in our, in our understanding of creation. So he's got this challenge out there now for the rest of the chapter. He's going to say, how does faith prove And he's going to lay it all out for you right here in the next chapters. But out of the Word of God comes creation and life itself. God exists, and there are 
rewards for those who seek him. Go down to verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Jump down to verse 10. For Abraham was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. There is a hope that faith proves. There is an assurance that faith gives us. And that faith bears itself out in an obedience to God's word and who God is. That we find our life in obedience to him. For the next several weeks, we're going to look at each of these stories individually. We'll look at Genesis first. Then we're going to look at Genesis again. Then we're going to look at Exodus, because it's the pattern that he takes here. And then we're going to look at an overview of prophets and kings there. We're going to follow the same pattern he does. But for this morning, let's revel in this reality that faith is an assurance that calls us to do, to obey the word of God and to look crazy to the world. Faith is also evidence of the things that no one else can see. So when you step out in faith, you are testifying to the world that there's a God who is greater than this world. When you obey the Lord over the pleasures of this world, when you deny the pleasures of this world for the sake of the Lord and righteousness, you are proclaiming that He is real and showing evidence of the great hope and reward we have in Him. And when you testify that Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking sin upon Himself, dying that you would be free from the wrath of God, and then raising again that you would have life, when you make that proclamation, you are displaying a hope for a better kingdom than the one we are in. And what a delight it is to do that. What a delight it is to stand across from a person who has rejected all truth of the gospel and to say to them, I see something you don't. And then to teach them about it and tell them about it. What a delight it is. Even when they turn their face away. Even when they reject it. Even when they scorn you for it. We receive our commendation from the Lord. And we are proven all the more through our struggle and suffering. Let's pray together, and then we'll enter into a time of communion. Father, we love you, and we trust you. Lord, we, we desire so much that our faith would be used to glorify you and your kingdom, that you would speak through us, that the world would be changed through your presence in our hearts. Lord, when this world tells us that things don't seem right or that we seem crazy, we pray that we would own it. That we would say you're right, but it's true. Because we know that faith is, is incredible. 
Lord, that people would see the assurance that we have and understand your word, that you would open their eyes, that they would see it. Father, we pray that we would be bold in the proclamation of our faith, that we would stand raising our hands to you and praying to you that you would transform all that is around us and we would say with a mighty voice and join with the angels, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy. Worthy is He. Lord, we pray that you would make that cry abundant in our, in our hearts and in our lives. That as we profess Jesus, that the world would see and know. We love you. We trust you.